This is The Baseline, discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA. Welcome, everybody. You're tuned to The Baseline. Callie Warnshaw discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA. Riding into the month of September, you know what that means. We are about a month away from the NBA season officially getting busy. And that also means that The Baseline NBA podcast will be rolling out our previews of the divisions for this upcoming season. I know people are geeked up, amped up, excited about that. Hearing your two favorite boys, uh, you know, lay down the Nostradamus way of things in uh, what we're predicting for this upcoming NBA season. So we're gearing up. We hope you're gearing up as well, too, up here in the North. Kids are getting themselves ready after Labor Day weekend to uh, take a big, big, deep breath and get right back at the books again and stuff. And I know back down there in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, South Florida area, that is already taking place. So let me go ahead and roll out the red carpet to my right-hand man, www.shawsports.net, Big Kahuna PNC, my man, Warren Shaw. You know where he's repping, and you know how he holds it down. What's good, brother? Trying to make it, man. I appreciate you asking, as always, getting ready for, you know, a little hurricane stuff going down here in the <laughs> South Florida area. Just got to get this podcast in before I lose power. So make sure we're all good to go. But that's not the main light of the situation. You know, shout out to our, our friends and family out there in the Bahamas who are definitely going through it right now. Um, but very serious stuff out there in, in, in the Atlantic. And, you know, hopefully everyone will be all right. I got to ask you a question. <laughs> what do you think will be more of a natural disaster? Uh, the, the Any hurricane that strikes Florida during this part of the hurricane season or the uh, record of the New York Knicks? Ooh, well, I'm going to go with the natural disaster, but I think the Knicks and the Hornets won't be you, too far behind. You know, it ain't good, man, when you start, put, you start putting basketball uh, franchises and, uh, you know, natural, uh, natural hurricane uh, or natural disasters, like when you make those comparisons, it's not uh i'm just listen either way we're just preparing we're just preparing our peoples that's all we're trying to do we're just preparing them we're not we're not saying anything we're just preparing them anyway we got a great show on tap man and as always we appreciate you and yours for tapping in with us here on the baseline nba podcast this week we are going to be talking about leap year candidates uh it's about that time right our guys just going to be hopping and skipping along through their nba career or will this be the time where they make a huge leprechaun-like leap um, into their NBA careers? We'll be talking about a couple of guys on our list who we have our eye on and seeing if whether or not they will hit their mark. And then also, we're also going to be talking about comeback seasons. There are players right now that are really on the fence, um, very late in their careers. People will probably say their has-beens, you know, they may even be forgotten players in the NBA. But after seeing what some of these guys have been showing us on their Instagrams, what they've been showing us on their Twitter feeds, their Snapchats, and if they were participating in the big three, is there hope? Can a comeback be made for some of these players? So we'll be talking about that and a lot more. Once again, we always appreciate you and yours for hopping on board with us. Be sure to get my man Shaw at Shaw Sports NBA. Get at me at Game Face Lee. The show's Twitter handle at NBA Baseline. The Baseline powered by lineups, as always, man. We appreciate anyone plugging in. Add us to your playlist if you're a first-timer. If you are a regular and you know how you do, you once that new episode rolls up, Kick Back Relax allows to be your go-to resource discussing all things happening in the association. You know how we do. 
You know how we roll. Let's leap on with the breakdown. Time to break it down. down Time now for the breakdown. Callie Warnshaw, Baseline NBA podcast. And this week on the breakdown, our topic of conversation, leap year candidates. These are the dudes who we've put enough work, emphasis, mental stamina, and restraint if they did frustrate us from time to time. And we're actually saying to ourselves, is this their leap year? Is this the year that they take that forward step? No more of the, you know, freshman fallacies, the sophomore hijinks. This is their year. For some of these guys, it's it's really a do or die moment in how we're defining their level of greatness and commitment to where they're going to be in the NBA. For some guys, they could basically be perennial stars, some perennial superstars. Maybe for some, they have already relegated themselves to being quality role players that will basically be traveling through, you know, other NBA teams, uh, situating themselves, helping out, but might not necessarily be making a Kobe-like mark to their legacy in the NBA. We don't know. But that's the purpose for the conversation. And there was a few players that you have listed, Shaw, which I think are very they're, – they're great they're great players for us to be having this conversation when we talk about Leap Year. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I think, you know, I go by the, the, the quintessential NBA terms, so to speak. A lot of these guys are in their third years, uh, with the exception of DeJounte Murray, who technically missed all of last year. So that's why I'm kind of putting him in, into this into this category. Uh, but in general, yeah, the, the, the NBA mantra is that, you know, the third year is where these players really start to develop and, and take hold of themselves and who they're going to be. So it kind of – I didn't really need to put, like, a Donovan Mitchell in here and things of that nature like that. It's these guys who, especially we'll, we'll talk about – probably the first one here, a guy on Team USA Basketball and Jason Tatum, who came burst onto the scene kind of as an unexpected rookie, all, all the fanfare that happened along with the Boston Celtics, trading down, in essence, to to get him and, and, and trading out of the number one pick um, and, and, and kind of fleecing the Philadelphia 76ers who don't even have Mark Fultz on the roster anymore. And then going to year two, where Tatum really did take a step back especially from all the expectations, you know, they're talking, the Celtics were talking about not being able to trade Tatum for a guy like Anthony Davis because they were just, were so invested in his future. And then last year was, uh, and I can't even say a little bit, I think it was pretty disappointing for the entire Celtics team, including Tatum himself. So, you know, all of these guys that we'll talk about here, you know, I think have some, some, uh, some level of, of interest and probably are going to be stepping into some larger roles. Um, and starting with Tatum in the Boston Celtics, I think, you know, he's a, per, he's a prime candidate who should be taking a leap year. Otherwise, kind of to, to your intro points, is he just overhyped? You know what I mean? If he doesn't take a leap this year and really become the man on this roster, you know, alongside Kemba Walker, uh, I think people are going to start to wonder about this guy a little bit. All right, so let's delve into uh, Taco J, right? Um, you know, one of the things that really... Um, amazed me about Jason Tatum. It, it wasn't his natural shooting ability, which everybody says this guy has pure touch with his shot. And maybe in some some ways, uh, Danny Ainge quickly recognized that with the Boston Celtics at that time, what they truly lacked is their ability to shoot consistent perimeter shots, um, especially from their back backcourt. And, and primarily from their wing players. So that was already a great get because you can't teach the, the, the way that Jason shoots, his, shoots the shot. He, he has a great form and technique. But I think the one thing that had really stood out 
um, to me about why Jason Tatum was a great selection in, in that particular order of the draft and for what Danny Ainge did to get Jason Tatum, his poise. This guy has a level of poise and a, a, a natural innate ability to believe in his, his talent set. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that because he is poised means he um, he rises to the occasion. I'm just saying that he is poised in his ability to stay within himself um, and what his game represents and go out there and and, and execute you know, the best way he can. He doesn't slack off. He always, you know, he gives you 100%. But the problem that happens with guys that are poised this early in their career, so to speak, is the ability to get them to come out of their comfort zone, to show them things that they are not ready to handle just yet because they're within that level of being poised. And I think that to me is the struggle that the Boston Celtics have. The reason why I say this, Shaw, is because remember we were talking about the struggle if you're the Boston Celtics about who really whose team should this really be who is your go-to player when the Celtics need buckets and that's the reason why they they kept Kyrie Irving for as long as they did because they wanted to believe that Kyrie Irving should be leading this basketball team when all along you and I I think felt in some way shape or form showing what what Jason showed in his freshman season that he really could be potentially the person that the Celtics would need as their go-to guy, the guy to go get them buckets. And we just didn't see that translate next, you know, in the second year. And I think when we're talking about leap year, this to me is the leap that needs to be taken. While I get that the Celtics have Kemba Walker, while I get that they're trying to move in a different direction and we'll see what Brad Stevens does in the system offensively to accommodate the talent that he now is working with. This still comes down to Jason Tatum's, him propelling himself to recognizing that he could be among one of the great clutch shooters in the game, that he could be one of the pure, best pure scorers in the game, and he can do it and still not even be 25 years old. <laughs> Whether or not he recognizes that, I think is going to be the bigger question, and that is to me what kind of a, puts me at his leap year big question mark. Yeah, self-awareness for him is, I think, key, um, really, and confidence and the ability to just go out there and be aggressive on a regular basis, uh, take the shots, take his man off the dribble. Um, and while he's not he's not amazing off the bounce, so to speak, he has enough wiggle where he can create his own shot, enough good size, you know, array of moves in terms of creating the step back and things of that nature. Um, and he's 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 a pretty decent defender as well, too, especially when when he when he's when he's dug in, so to speak. And I think if if you're Tatum, you're probably like, what are you, what are you talking about? His, my numbers were actually better overall, uh, but his percentages were down, you know, and I think it was just even that level of confidence that we didn't necessarily always see with him. So sure, he took a couple more shots than he did in, in, his, in his freshman year or his rookie year, rather, um, and his points were up and, and his free throw percentage was up and rebounds was up by one and all that. But the percentages were down. And I think it's just the overall perception and uncomfortability that we saw using the quote unquote eye test with, with, with Tatum. Just like, all right, well, he's not he didn't take the leap that we expected him to. Think about a guy like De'Aaron Fox from year one to year two. I think that's what a lot of people were hoping for, for from Jason Tatum, and that didn't happen. Sure, opportunity may not have been there. Um, and I'm wondering, even in some ways, too, will the opportunity be there or will he create it for himself, which may be even more important, and to your point, so to speak. Because sure, Kemba Walker's there, but Kemba's ball dominant, but not a ball hog, right? Um, right. But you have Jalen Brown, who's in a, in a contract year, looking to try to make sure, hey, you know, he wants to – 
you know, secure his back, so to speak. And you have Gordon Hayward, who's trying to show everybody that he's not washed up and he wants to come back. And I think he's in the last uh, last year before his, he can uh, opt out of his deal as well, too. So there are some extenuating factors that can affect Tatum and his ability to get the ball, so to speak. But I always kind of go back to our earlier mantra that it can't just always be about offense. And it does need to be in some ways for Tatum. Uh, but can he be just this complete all-around basketball player, you know, get his rebounds up to maybe eight, eight, or, eight or so a game, seven, eight, or eight, or eight rebounds a game, you know, get two or three assists a game, you know, and get maybe in that 17-point-per-game range. I think those are all acceptable asks for Jason Tatum coming into the season. Well, I listen, to me, I, I really think – because what I'm expecting from Kemba Walker, let's be realistic. This is probably going to be the most talented team Kemba Walker is going to be captaining um, or, you know, captaining the ship, so to, so to speak, with regards to this this Celtics basketball team. And if, the you know, we're not even questioning whether or not the Celtics are capable of making the playoffs. I mean, it would literally take like a, a complete tank, a bomb of the season, like everybody across the board, you know, yeah, the Celtics are some short, are, are short some players that you know from the last couple of seasons that have really helped them. But I, the core level of their their overall depth, I think, is equally going to easily have them as a top five team in the uh, easily in the Eastern Conference. I think Kemba Walker is looking for his game to translate where other guys become truly elevated from his play, inspired from his play. And so sometimes it may not necessarily be the Kemba that's scoring twenty six you know, points per game or whatever, which opens up the opportunity for guys like Jason Tatum. But I think the one thing that I think that does need to be emphasized is Jason Tatum's aggressiveness definitely needs to be amped up a little bit. I think there are too many, too many moments we've seen Jason Tatum dance when he really needs to be stomping um, on, on the competition. Whether or not he chooses to do that, I think also will factor into that leap year ascension that I think we all expected him to be. All right, Shell, let's go ahead and move our attention to I'm surprised that we're bringing this dude up because I because I feel like this guy's been in the NBA a hell of a lot longer than just <laughs> us perceiving that this is a leap year in in, in Kelly Oubre. Um either that or my man is 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 uh his 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 dreads are are on his head a lot longer than <laughs> Uber has been around a little while, but uh, I think in terms of just who who he is and who people expected him to be, and I think what last year was took an acceptable leap last year, and he kind of hung out, you know, a little bit. I think in uh, in terms of uh, the free agent market, so to speak. Wave so, Poppy and, riding waves. He ain't causing waves. He's riding yeah, waves. <laughs> And this is technically year four for Ubre, so you know, not too far off the proverbial trajectory, so to speak. Somewhat the opportunity for a massive role with Phoenix Suns, you know, um, after resigning out a little bit. It was, just, it was just a weird situation where, like, all right, well, what's going to happen? But they they finally said re upped with him. Uh, they got rid of basically every other uh, power forward on on their roster. And now, and well, depending on where you slot, Ubre's is three slash four, if you will. Uh, but he has all, it's going to be him and Booker. They can go out there and kind of run the show. Um, and I'm anxious to see what this what this, what this, this entails because he's not a guy, I think we've talked about on our show, even though it's you alluded to, hasn't been a favorite of ours, you know? But I think there's, you have to kind of get out of your own way sometimes when evaluating people and see the work that he's done with his training He's becoming a better overall basketball player, impacting both sides of the basketball. You know, got that lefty touch, so to speak. Um, and it just seems to be maturing into his role a little bit. And now with, with the Phoenix Suns still being, you know, a team that is 
obviously still trying to find himself a little bit. Uh, I think his his opportunity for improvement is massive going into year four. You know, when I think about Kelly Oubre, I think about Sam Perkins. And I, and I don't mean that in the way that, like, Kelly Oubre looks like he's high all the time. I just think that when Sam Perkins came into the NBA, his natural ability as a southpaw was overwhelmingly the hype, right? Like, they just really hadn't seen a guy play at a level like that um, where the norm is that you come off normally as a righty, right? Um and you're right. When you look at his numbers, he averaged 15 points per game last year, um, around close to five rebounds. He shot around 45% from the field. He's 78% from the free throw line. You you look at this and you say, so why are we questioning what you know where he's going to be? Well, think about it. He was in some respects somewhat of a headache in Washington. He became expendable, and they moved him, obviously, to to Phoenix. Here we're saying in Phoenix this is an opportunity, but, like, in Phoenix, this is, like, the land of, like, the lost point guards, right? Like, how many point guards we could we could we have been having these kind of conversations about leap year candidates? I, if you if think about it, Sean, this would be a popular topic we do every single year, and I'm sure one guard that we would be talking about would have probably be sitting in the roster of the Phoenix Suns over the last three, four years, right? So my thing with Kelly Oubre, again, it's the same thing that I see within a guy like, like a Sam Perkins is, all of this natural ability and the hype that was coming out there, sometimes it 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 allows us to recognize that part of it just comes down to where he really thinks he wants to be. Um, and him trying to figure this out more so than we trying to figure it out for him. And that to me is the biggest struggle because I think part of that is what we struggled with with regards to Sam Perkins. I think when Sam Perkins recognized, you know, how he can contribute and 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 where his role truly was as far as, you know, being with the Indiana Pacers, we could easily have the same argument that this could be the year that Kelly Oubre really finds himself and he may actually do it, you know, in Phoenix. I think the question is, is for him, what does he really want to be? um in this nba climate because the window for for his style of play i think is beginning to close and so he's gonna have to figure out ways to make himself relevant because the start that he's given himself in in not living up to those expectations when he was coming out of you know when he was drafted by the wizards to me just kind of illuminates a player that has all of the hidden jewel the hidden talent right but his desire to rub the lamp just ain't there. Uh, I think he had, he's another one kind of not, well, not necessarily paid him like, but he had a, a, a decent year one, a little disappointing. I think really had a really good year too. And then ever since that, and us team has kind of struggled as well too, with all the injuries on that roster, he didn't really get a chance to step into that role. Then he got traded to Phoenix, you know, last year um, before the deadline um, and started to flourish a little bit. And, and I think now when, when, you, when you're looking at it, you know, he slots is probably, again, probably more so the three than the four because I forgot Sarge is over there on that roster now as well, too. Um, but the opportunity is there alongside Devin Booker. Can he be a guy who can play make? Can he rebound? Can he defend um, and, and use kind of his uh, his the, the angles and his, and his length, if you will, to just impact the basketball? 36s, then you know they stretch out, you know, to be like a 20 20 point per game guy. Seven, and I think those are, are, are especially on that roster now that no longer has, you know, TJ Warren. Uh, they they got rid of him and they got rid of Josh Jackson. It's just like 
they, they, they've cleared out the cupboard, so to speak, for, for Ubre to go out here and really, really develop it and be the dude um, alongside Devin Booker. And it has to be a good thing for Kelly Oubre because I think part of the problem that existed in Washington is they never gave him that chance. I, and I'll say that in fairness. Um, they were so busy trying to accommodate having a, an immediate impact team with the combination of John Wall and Bradley Beal that I think that Washington missed an opportunity to let this kid flourish. Look, they even said when they were drafting Kelly Oubre that this kid has the promise and the potential, but he's a project, you know, and, and I don't think that they, they gave enough opportunity and time to allow the project to come to fruition. This is an opportunity for him to be able to do that. But, you know, again, I, I you know, I emphasize how much confidence do you have in the Phoenix Suns management to not screw this up? You went through all of this trouble clearing out the roster space to allow Kelly Oubre to grow next to a guy like Devin Booker. My whole thing is, do you screw it up and you go and get like another veteran come to trade deadline simply because, you know, you're trying to be cost conscious or whatever the case may be. And then you do the same thing again and you and you stunt this kid's growth. I'm not saying that Kelly Oubre is should should not take that with upon himself to set that to, to set that standard but I am saying that th both of these organizations have not done him enough justice for him to realize that he's going to have to take that mantle on his own and really kind of corner it by himself so it'll be interesting to see how he like he takes on this opportunity because it will be new for him but he is playing on a horrible team with the phoenix suns <laughs> well hold on i think it's i you know we're remiss to say you know i mean they do have one pretty good veteran on their team in terms of a guy who will be a voice in the locker room and that's ricky rubio so i think you know he can kind of maybe lean on him a little bit no um, no no no, no. I'm, but i'm saying i'm saying that they i'm saying that kelly Oubre is not fighting with someone in his position. I'm not saying that Ricky Rubio won't have an influence, but Ricky Rubio is a primary guard. Kelly Oubre is going to be playing the two, three position, primarily the three now, because Devin Clear is going to be naturally at the two. So, but what I'm saying is, is that when he was in Washington, they did a disservice to him because they had Trevor Ariza. They had Otto Porter Jr. They, uh, who else, how many freaking wing players that they had where Kelly Oubre really should have been a starter if that was what the intention should have been so while we say oh well he just didn't play well enough they never gave him a chance because there were clearly other players that were on that roster that had the starting um experience that they needed to to to, to have that washington wizards team compete on a night in night out basis they didn't give enough time to let this kid you know move up on that food chain to be a starter he's got this opportunity now Fair enough. Yeah, I think his only real competition at the three is, and not to say that it's, it's not it's not light competition either. You know, and Mikel Bridges. So um, it will be interesting to see how those two, you know, push each other on a regular basis. But going into the season, you know, th this is Ubre's job to lose. He should be the third guy alongside Booker and DeAndre Ayton. You know, Ubre should be that you know that third piece piece of what they're trying to do. But as you alluded to, again, a lot of the onus is going to be on himself. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about another dude that we. I, I feel bad because. I don't know if whether or not this guy has actually played a complete NBA season, um, Laurie Markkinen. But from all accounts for what we have seen, and we don't get a lot, you know, um, as far as the, 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 the spying eye goes because the Chicago Bulls are such a bad basketball team, you barely see them on primetime. But what, from what we do see, Laurie Markkinen has all the makings of being a perennial star here in the NBA. Um, he's given us those glimpses, but he has not stayed healthy enough. I'm just curious, Sheldon, when we talk about leap year, 
are we talking about this for for a guy like Laurie Markkinen in the sense that he now needs to put himself front and center as a premier player the same way that we're that we elevated Luka Doncic or the way that we're hanging on to what we've seen so far from Kristaps Porzingis because you can make the argument that Kristaps Porzingis can be in this this in in this uh, selection of players that we're talking about quote unquote leap year because of these injuries that have taken place to both of these guys. But from what we have seen, when they're healthy, they could be dominant stars that can certainly leave a mark in the NBA. Yeah, I think with Mark and it might even be a little bit of a cheat because he he had a you know a pretty big leap from year one to year two. But again, the injuries slowed down his progress and what he was able to do kind of throughout the course of the season. But you know, he was nineteen and nine basically last year already. For him to be easily a twenty ten guy right now in Chicago, is I think Chicago is going to be a better overall basketball team, and they're going to be headed headed by his his overall growth and his maturation process as well too. Uh, they really, in a sense, not they didn't luck out. They 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 made a smart pick, you know, and, and getting and getting Markinen. Um, I think it was in the trade for Zach Levine and all that stuff like that with Minnesota. It's one of the picks that ended up conveying, um, and alongside Wendell Carter as well too. I think the Chicago Bulls have a nice front court gotta be the dude and you know if he's not if he's not like 20 22 and 10 this year i'd be very very surprised so i'm looking for big things out of marketing and i um, want to see him improve his defense a little bit because that is not an area where he shines specifically uh, but overall i think he is the franchise uh the future face of the franchise of chicago even while levine is there taking a lot of shots as well too they know they got to play it through the younger market uh he's an athletic debtless shrimp and and i often said to myself man had had the Indiana Pacers really unleashed Detlef um, when he was in the prime of his career, that guy would have, he, he'd have done some damage. Um, and I think the Bulls have that with this kid. Now, he doesn't shoot the three ball particularly well yet. Um, I, I think that he, he, will, he will definitely, he'll, he'll get there. Um, but again, part of that is because he just doesn't stay healthy. So he doesn't get enough opportunities and attempts. Plus, I think the system in which that he was playing with, I think, did him a disservice for his shot selection capabilities. Playing next to a guy like Zach Levine, I think, really now opens that up because Zach Levine is the kind of guy that likes to get to the basket and basically likes to put his gonads on top of people's foreheads. And uh, the Chicago Bulls have really been suffering that from their backcourt play. So I think Markinen really will benefit from having a more versatile and hopefully a healthy and more athletic backcourt, opening up those lanes for him to be able to shoot the basketball with a, with, with a sense of purpose. He's definitely got to be up there in a the field goal percentage for a guy of his size and his elk. I mean, he's got to be somewhere like in, in the high 40s um, this, this, this upcoming season. And whether or not, you know, we're saying that he does or doesn't do that, I think to me, are the makings of us saying that this is now that that leap year. But I go back to my original point. You look at you look at the stature and the style of play and you say to yourself he has a spot, he has a fit. Whether he chooses to do that, I think now comes down to how much of an influence that he does have on this Chicago Bulls team. And I think part of his play is going to accelerate the idea of whether or not we think that the Bulls are on a fast track to be being one of those teams that we're going to talk about again as being a playoff contending type of basketball team. So, yeah, I think, you know, the leap that Laurie Markinen takes is the same type of leap that we recognize with the Chicago Bulls elevating themselves over, uh, you know, for this upcoming season. Yeah, I think those are great points, you know, and, and to, it's interesting because 
him if he becomes a 46 47 percent shooter i think that'll be huge because that'll also mean his three-point percentage is probably also going up because he's already exactly. taking six threes a game. you know six threes a game you know at, at, at that power forward spot so he he is a stretch for you know in today's game and, and really fits today's market so to speak um but if he can get his field goal percentage up you know even get some more offensive rebounds and some easy putbacks that maybe help some of that field goal percentage chicago is just going to continue to flourish behind his his overall growth so you know, I'm looking again, as I said before, big things out of him. Want to see what uh, they can do with him on the defensive side of the basketball as well, too. Because um, I think he has the length and maybe not necessarily the foot speed, but he's got to develop the instincts to be a better help defender on, on some of those things, too. And then you really see his game start to complete and start to flourish for the Chicago Bulls. You're tuned to The Baseline. Callie Warnshaw discussing hot-button topics of the NBA. Our topic of the breakdown, leap year candidates. A couple more players that we're going to talk about, Shaw. And um, these are these are some, some, some good ones. Um, I... Again, I'm surprised that they're they're already at this play where you know they're situated where we consider this them being their leap year. But yeah, you know we we if we haven't mentioned them enough, it's either because of health issues or it's because they've taken a step back from the excitement that and the fervor that they generated being coming out of their respective uh, colleges. So let's talk about it. Miami Heat's Bam Adebayo, and. <laughs> Listen, man, Bam Bam, you know, was supposed to be, you know, bringing back the, 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 the Flintstone days of playing in the NBA, man. I mean, this guy was supposed to be like a, a quote unquote beast. You know what I'm saying? Like I was expecting people in Miami coming out with the Flintstone robes and, you know, with the with the with the with the fake clubs and stuff, you know, and, and having and him having a Bam Bam club. But that's just not been the case. And I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because, you know, that's just not how it goes down there in Miami, per se, or because of the fact that a lot of what he's contributed for the Miami Heat has not impacted the team in a way that I, maybe on, on, on us analysts, we're saying we thought should have had an impact as much as it doesn't bring out the excitement of people because of the disappointing uh, finishes that the Miami Heat have, have given themselves over the last couple of seasons. Well, I think in some ways it's 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 a result of the roster um, on what was the case, so to speak, especially with a guy like Hassan Whiteside being as polarizing as he was and playing in front of him. Um, but seasons, Bolster said, "F it, you know, we're done with Whiteside. You're going to come off the bench, and, and Bam's going to be our." starter so bam started 28 games last year um and played very well in, in that time and i think the sky is the limit for what he's going to be able to do now going in as a certified starting center for for the miami heat sure he's still a little bit undersized but he's physical he's strong um he's got a great personality he's he's receptive to coaching you know he's under the tutelage of ud and and, and even d wade who's now also obviously retired whatever he understands what, what he he's been working his per 36, you know, have him at a double-double last year at 13 and 11 if he were to get 36 minutes a night. And while I know the Heat don't really necessarily do that type of thing, I think he's going to see 33 or 34 minutes a night easily this coming year. Um, and he should be able to play both sides of the basketball a much better passer than people give him credit for. You know, I think people are starting to understand that he can heal. He conditioned here a little bit. Um, and he so he gets block shots. He gets steals. has good instincts. Um if he's not a double double type guy with one and a half, maybe two blocks a game this year, I'd be surprised because I think the opportunity is there. I think Jimmy Butler's going to love his intensity and, and his physicality as well, too. I think it's going to be a match made in heaven when it comes to those two playing alongside each other on the basketball court. 
Well, I mean, his numbers are 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 sneaky good, right? Like, so his per thirty six, you know, he'll give you about twelve points per game, which I think is prime for a guy coming off of the center position. So he obviously takes advantage of the minutes, and and I, I feel like in many respects he's somewhere, um, he he's somewhere on that level that we we discuss with the likes of a Montrez Harrell and a Kenneth Fareed. And I don't know where Bam Bam is going to fit um, as far as what he what his contributions are going to mean to impact the Miami Heat. I think the Miami Heat are in a are in a really peculiar pay, uh, peculiar space. Excuse me. That I think this could be a prime opportunity for Bam Bam to assert himself and what his skill set can help the Miami Heat uh, gain offensively, not just defensively. I think from an energy perspective and a hype perspective, Bam Bam can take care of this on his own. He needs to be the exciting player that get, gives people a reason to jump up and down for. I'll, I'll give you a, 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 an analogy to this, Shaw. Think about the times when the Golden State Warriors were in their transition of greatness to have the period of years of success that they have. Not everybody was on board with what was happening with Steph Curry. Not everybody was on board with what was happening with Klay Thompson. The key was Draymond Green. The key was what Draymond Green was giving um, Mark Jackson off the bench and then eventually as a starter. And that kind of energy, that kind of impact, I think, can be of the same way with a guy like Bam because his his path to this point is something similar to what we recognize with a Draymond Green. And you can make the same argument with someone like a Montrez Harrell, where no one's giving him a chance. No one, he finally gets a chance. And when he comes in, he lets his swag and his play kind of dictate people to say he needs to be on that starting lineup. He needs to be on that court 30-something minutes a game. We want to see that kind of player next to these excited, these type of players. That's what's bringing excitement. I think if Jimmy Butler is really embracing this team like you say, this is an opportunity, this is a space for Bam to really kind of supplant himself, to kind of be like their, their new school Udonis Haslam, so to speak, where the numbers can mean something, but his personality and his swagger can impact something as well, too. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they love him. You know, the Heat had a couple of guys who they are extremely excited about, you know, coming into this year. Bam, I think, is at the top of that list. They're very excited about Derek Jones Jr. as well, too. And they're still very hopeful in, 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 in Justice Winslow. And again, they love their rookie in Tyler Harrow. Uh, but Bam is going to have all the opportunity. Myers Leonard will be there to play as well, too. So you can't just wrestle on his roles and say, okay, it's, it's mine to have. But even the Team USA basketball experience, getting out there and getting some run with those guys um, and just understanding where he as where he is as as a player in this space and this time. Um, I know he's working on a three-point game as well, too, and we'll see if that's something that translates into the regular season. Uh, but I think, again, just because of all the things you said, the, the, the energy, uh, even the professionalism, and just the understanding of what he's supposed to be and what his role is on the Miami Heat franchise, guys i think this is going to be of all the guys we've seen or we've talked about he could actually have the biggest leap statistically just because the minutes and the playing time are going to be there for him this year all right and let me correct myself when i said his um for 36 i said 12.6 that was actually this 2017-18 season last season it was 13.7 so that right there tells you that he is on the come up and hopefully those like you said those additional the additional minutes the playing time and the assurance from spolstra uh, and, you know, looking at clearing the roster the way that they did 
they think that he is going to be the future big man for the NBA, uh, for the Miami Heat in the years to come. Finally, Shaw, let's go ahead and cap this off with our leap year candidates and Deontay Murray. You mentioned him a little bit earlier on, and it's only right that we probably bring this dude up because, you know, he is a part of one of the most heralded franchises in our decade and our generation of the San Antonio Spurs. And the San Antonio Spurs are in a very strange space. We don't often talk about it like this. It's ironic how we can talk about a team that is not the dominant team right now in their own division like they've been, you know, some three years ago, you know, and they have to deal with the post-Kawhi um, era, so to speak. But they still keep keep it moving. Um, but now I think that there's this struggle, right? Like, there's this struggle of being able to recognize, you know, who is going to be the face of this of this basketball team. It certainly is not going to be LaMarcus Aldridge. We already feel like he's got one foot already out the door. Um, and with DeMar DeRozan, it's still somewhat of a wait-and-see scenario. So a lot of this comes down to the drafting um, and the, the, the players that over the last couple of seasons that Greg Popovich has, has looked at um, as to help redeveloping the face of the San Antonio Spurs and Deontay Murray is one of those dudes. Yeah, no, he is. He definitely, uh, that last year was supposed to be the year. Um, he fully committed. Tony Parker was gone. Um, and it was he, it was his team and his roster in a sense to run. Yes, DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge were the, the catalyst, so to speak. But he was going to be the point guard, have the ball in his hands and probably get, you know, upwards of 30 minutes a night. Um, and then that, you know, that gruesome injury to his knee just didn't allow that to happen and materialize for last year. So, you know, coming off the ACL surgery, you know, he should be back and fully healthy. Hopefully, you know, it's the start of this year's season. It may take him a little bit of time. But I think even going back two years ago now, if you will, just understanding that Pop turned the keys over to him while Parker was still there. You know, remember that whole scandal, if you will, you know, in the middle of the season. You know, it's like, all right, well, it's time to, you know, start start to turn, turn a new leaf, so to speak. And Parker, you know, to his credit, handled it, you know, relatively well in the midst of that Kawhi Leonard crazy season. But DeJounte started 48 games that year. Um, so he was slated to be the man, um, and I think coming into this uh, this season, if he's back and healthy, has an opportunity to really, really put some numbers on the board and do a lot of things that Pop wants, especially from the defensive side of the basketball. He can stay in front of the guys, you know, and not let let his this man get into lane and and let the kind of the softer interior defense that the Spurs have right now uh, get 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 weaponized, if you will. So I'm excited for his his opportunity this year, truly, because I think he's 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 got the length. He's, he's, he, he listens to what Pop has to say to him. Um, and again, he's still very, very young. and just going to be, what, 22 years old. So excited for DeJounte Murray and what he's going to be able to do for the Spurs this year. Yeah, I think health is obviously going to be the big thing for, for, for Deontay. I am curious, uh, do you see Deontay as being a future NBA All-Star? I think that's lofty based on how loaded the West is in terms of their guards specifically. Mm -hmm. um, he has the ability to be an impact player. I can see him probably making like an all defensive team, maybe like a second or third defensive team type of thing. Um, but and in, in some ways, you know, he could even be has the opportunity for like a comeback player of the year or most improved player just based on his injury. You know, I think he has all those all those capabilities and that, that type level of talent in him, you know, his per 36, you know, from a year ago, translate to rough, roughly 13, five and, 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 and 10 or something like that crazy. So, you know, he's, he has the ability to really, really do a lot um, and kind of be a guy who impacts again, both sides of the basketball, not going to score a ton of points, so to speak, but those ancillary stats, especially when it comes to steals, you know, and, and sneaky steals, getting the assist and he's a, he's a 
center for his size as well too. I'm excited again what he's going to be able to do. Pop has a a, a bright young man, um, and then also has a guy like Derek White who developed with Dejounte being hurt last year as well. You know they're going to be able to push each other a little bit. Uh, but I think the Spurs team is is still going to be a, a formidable point, uh, formidable team in the Western Conference. And a lot of that has to do with Dejounte him running the point guard position. Absolutely, and I think as my final point with regards um, to to Deontay, he's in hit for him. I think a lot of this really comes down to how he pairs up on the head-to-head matchups against the, the the perennial guards of the NBA. I think we did this a few years ago, Shaw, when we made these comparisons with Damian Lillard. We never questioned the upside of what Damian Lillard presented. However, I think what did it for us is how Damian Lillard stepped up against the other premier guards. You know, you do have these little scenarios where, yes, there are other players that, you know, it's not just you. There's four of the guys that are on your team, and you're not just playing against one guy on on the other side of the court. You're playing against five. But the matchups do matter. And I think for us to recognize where Deontay Murray um, is as far as taking that leap year, I'm going to be interested to see him in those matchups against the Donovan Mitchells, against the Damian Lillards and CJ McCollum's, against the Steph and Clay, uh, Clay, the Steph Curry's and Clay Thompson's, the Russell Westbrook's and James Harden's. How he matches up against these guys, how he plays against these guys, not just defensively but offensively. I think that is my measurement to see how far of a leap that he's going to take because it also measures up his reliability factor and the fact that he can stay healthy and play at such a high level. Like you said, across the board, amongst one of the more elite defensive players uh, a season ago. And this season was missed. But if you add the fact that he has that offensive upside along with what he's already shown you defensively, we should be talking about him against those primetime matchups against these premier players in the Western Conference. And it would be very it would be very easy to slide him up there amongst one of the top guards in the NBA you know, over the next couple of seasons, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I can't say it any better than myself. You know, last point I'll say is just, you know, that three-point shooting. You know, they, he shot it decently in his, his rookie year, went away from it in year two, and obviously didn't get a chance to play in year three. Uh, we'll see what it looks like, you know, coming into this year. Um, if he's able to, you know, be at least 35%, 36%, and that will really keep the defenses honest and I think allow that Spurs team to grow because they do lack shooting in general. DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, those guys are mid-range assassins. So DeJounte is going to have to be a guy who can maybe step out there and knock down some corner threes specifically to give them some spacing in the middle. All right. There you have it, man. These are our dudes, man. Leap year candidates. Who do you think has leap year potential, right? We want to hear from you. Get at us at NBA Baseline. Callie Warrenshaw, Baseline, NBA Podcast. And this was The Breakdown. Time now for The Drop, Callie Warrenshaw, Baseline, NBA Podcast. And our topic for The Drop, comeback season. Who has comeback potential? Who has the opportunity to find themselves on an NBA roster after being pretty much a year or so removed from the game? There are a few people. I know everybody is is on the whole, well, obviously we're talking about Carmelo Anthony. Yes, Carmelo Anthony is among some of those players that we're thinking has possibilities of a comeback season. But there are some players. There was an earlier, uh, uh, this during the summer, there were speculations of Amari Stoudemire possibly making a comeback. Um, there have been rumors that Joe Johnson might make a comeback to the NBA, especially given what he showed us during the uh, summer in, in the Big Three. Hashim Thabit. Damn, I can't recall when the last time I even used that name out there. 
He's been speculated to have a possible uh, comeback into the NBA. Spencer Hawes, you know, the Hawk. He's supposed to be coming back to the NBA. So there's some players, while we often talk about the, you know, looking overseas, uh, G League, uh, and all these, you know, uh, tryouts and things of that nature. Um, sometimes, man, the, the best players to get when you are a team that needs to fill a roster spot, that needs additional scoring on a team, you probably want to be looking at somebody that's already been in the game, that's already got teeth in the game. Of the players that I've mentioned, Shaw, who do you likely think has a comeback potential? Uh, I think it's just you're going to go with the guys who are the most recently removed, so to speak. So um, the Carmelo rumors to Brooklyn are, are are alive and well and seem to have some, some legs to them. Make some sense, especially with KD being out. Durant is allegedly one of the guys that is recruiting Melo to Brooklyn um, to help out for the year, and then they'll see how it that's goes so, after that. That's so comical, Obviously, given know. what he did to Brooklyn when he was in Denver. So. Yeah, but you know, New York, not, not unfamiliar to Melo, obviously for, for a variety of reasons. And you know, there's, there's, there seems to be a fit there. Uh, Joe Johnson is getting interest. I think from the, the nuggets, the jazz, uh, it, obviously Philadelphia and I think Milwaukee as well too. Uh, so I think he can fit in all, all those environments, you know, what his role would be, I think varies on, on depending on the, dependent on those teams. Um, but I know he had a workout earlier this past week as well, too. Wait and see the results of that. He needs to get through, um, as we're recording, get through the Big Three final. Um, he is the MVP of the Big Three. And I think that'd be that'd be huge for, for, for that league as well, too, if they actually were to able to relaunch somebody's career, so to speak. And it only takes one. You know, one guy for that to, for that dream to kind of come back for them. And then you're going to see a lot of guys potentially come to the Big Three and then, you know, trying to prove that they still have it, so to speak. Now, granted, the game is not the same. And we can't even pretend that it is. But if it gets your foot back in the proverbial door, um, like it has for Joe Johnson, then I think the league is doing doing the service that it, that it wants to. So those two, to me, I think have the easiest path back to the NBA because there is a le legitimate interest in them. While the beat and Spencer Hawes, while they're bigs, you know, Hawes at least presents the shooting threat, you know, being able to three, shoot the three ball and, and spacing the floor. The beat more traditional in size and just didn't really, really translate. But he's getting a little looked at by the Knicks and the Milwaukee Bucks. So Hashim the Beat and Spencer Hawes, I think they're players that are just filling in roster space. I don't know how much of a contribution we would expect them to actually have. Right. Um clearly the idea is is if you're if you're if you're just very thin um in, you know, in front court help, you just need to put a body there. Um but you're not necessarily put implementing him, you know, for any any long-term you know, justification of, of keeping him on the roster, if at, if at the very least. So, and I, and I hate saying that, but that's, you know, so unfortunately that's the nature of the beast in the business and stuff. So, I mean, that, that to me is what that feels like. You know, the Joe Johnson and Carmelo Anthony conversations are very interesting, Shaw, because while I find it funny, again, to my point, that the Brooklyn Nets are actually trying or maybe possibly looking at Carmelo Anthony, I would honestly tell you that in this climate, right now for the Brooklyn Nets. This would be great for them. They need another person out there that's gonna score that basketball next to Kyrie Irving. Um, and I think that even if Kevin Durant comes back, over, uh, comes back healthy, you can still find a place for Carmelo Anthony. Whether or not Carmelo Anthony wants to accept, you know, 
if he were to be on that team, whether it be on the bench or it be somebody that's actually on, the, in, in, you know, starting or whatever the case may be. Um, I know that Brooklyn fans are very skeptical about Carmelo Anthony. Like right now, you know, you know, people in Brooklyn love Lala a hell of a lot more than they love Carmelo Anthony. Right. So it ain't like people from Brooklyn don't remember what Carmelo Anthony did to them. But I think if you're Carmelo Anthony, this is an opportunity in a very more friendlier environment environment of basketball for him, not because he's back home, but because of the circumstances and the situation that the Brooklyn Nets are in. There are high expectations that this team is still going to is supposed to make the playoffs. And as a scorer, you can never not have enough scoring. So for him to be back with Brooklyn might be the most ideal situation. You know, the Joe Johnson situation, Shaw, to me is really interesting because I often said to myself, you know what would be a really good place for him? Atlanta. And given the fact that you have like this young core that they've got going on right now, um, I would see Joe Johnson having more of an impact for the Atlanta Hawks than I would have ever thought at that year that, that Vince Carter had. But you can see what Vince Carter actually helped the Atlanta Hawks do this past season. I, I would say, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, man. You know, get Joe on there. He's a guy that's going to help get buckets, uh, uh, take a little bit of that offensive pressure off of Trey Young um, and John Collins to be the primary scorers. Why not? And maybe that's a way that he can kind of end his NBA career um, on, a, on, a, on a high note. Now, to say that he won't be able to contribute to those other places, like you mentioned, like Denver, Utah. Remember, he already had a stint in Utah, and he was somewhat productive there. I'm just saying that I don't know where they're going to find that opportunity and space for him to be that kind of guy that he showed us when he was playing in the big three. And then oftentimes when you see a guy like that, that scores a basketball like that, and you don't see him getting the minutes or don't see him getting the ball in that kind of capacity, it almost feels like you're doing it for face and not for space. Uh, that makes a lot of sense too, honestly, because, you know, he's, he's a quintessential right. locker room dude. So he can pretty much go on any roster, not be a problem, and still contribute in whatever limited minutes you you wanted to give him. You, you mentioned, you know, the Atlanta Hawks. I think it'd be a little bit of overkill because they did resign Vince already. Um, but sure, he could fit there. He can fit in a place like Dallas, you know, as they are trying to make, you know, a playoff run. You know, the and obviously Denver, Utah, all those things that you know that he actually has an opportunity at, and Philadelphia, where I think the workouts actually ended up happening. Uh, so I, I think he's somebody again who just he translates in, in a way that not a lot of NBA players do where, Hey, everybody could use a Joe Johnson sort of to be because of his versatility. And while he's not going to be able to play the defense at this level right now at his age, um, I think it would just be great to see him get an opportunity and to, to have an impact in the locker room in a way that I think he really would understand. No matter Who do you think has the opportunity to be the most successful uh, 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 between Joe, Joe Johnson and Carmelo Anthony this season, should they find themselves on roster spots? Uh, I mean, it's hard not to go with Melo. I mean, it's just because of, you know, the, the youth side, at least is kind of on, on Melo's, uh, Melo's uh, side when it comes to that. You know, he's, he's just younger. Um, and again, what we're seeing, quote unquote, in these, you know, NBA thirst trap Instagram videos, you know, workout videos is that he's giving people buckets. Now, you know, whether or not you know, how, how hard and tight the defense is on these videos, you know, that still is to be debated. But um, I think just in terms of what he can still do, um, offensively specifically, you know, playing as a pseudo stretch four. Um, I, I think there's just some opportunity there for him to be more impactful. Um, and they're not, and for, let's be honest, no one's bringing Carmelo in to be a locker room guy, so to speak. 
you know, I think that's Joe Johnson's mantra if, if he were to come back, you know, and he played very, very, very spot minutes. Melo would be coming in for the most part with not necessarily a substantial role, but a role where he's going to at least get probably 15 to 20 minutes a night. And I don't think Joe Johnson can say the same no matter where. It'll be goes. interesting. I, I, like the, I like Joe Johnson a whole lot more than Carmelo. And I think maybe that's what speaks volumes to where they go that I think dictates, you know, our 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 answers to that particular question so it, it'll be interesting to me i i, I to so, me are you saying that you think joe johnson can be more impactful for his team and say five to seven minutes as opposed to carmelo and i do because if i'm going by what i saw when he was in in houston i i i just see somebody that again um, is lost in the politics of the teams that he's playing for and not necessarily what his game is supposed to help translate and do um, and, and we saw the same thing with Allen Iverson. It's not to say that his game will not help teams. It's just that when he, when you are stuck in your in stuck in your ways and you're trying to play play this game in, in such a fashion that it's no more about how you go out there and play the game of basketball, like how we see him doing on these Instagrams. It's about who you affiliate yourself with and who you you know buddy up next to to to, to get you know, to put yourself back in that position. I just sometimes wonder to myself, has Carmelo taken himself out of this, you know, um, unintentionally by doing it? And now we're still again caught up in the in the hype aspects of things about why you brought Carmelo onto this team and whether or not it's supposed to help a basketball and all this stuff. When a guy like Joe Johnson, you know, silent Joe comes up, comes in there and just does what he's what he's supposed to do. No muss, no fuss about it. You know what I'm saying? We can complain about ISO Joe all day, every day, if we really, really want to. But at the end of the day, ISO Joe is not the headache. You know what I'm saying? ISO Joe doesn't make it a problem. And so I think at some point, if a team is going to put him on that roster, it's because they actually know what ISO Joe does. He goes and gets you buckets. And if they don't choose to use him, that's on them. But with Carmelo Anthony, you always have to wonder, is it because it's Carmelo not getting you buckets or is it because Carmelo Anthony might be causing drama or whatever the case may be? It's There's never a clear line with Carmelo Anthony, and that's the reason why I, I, I choose to go more on the Joe Johnson side of this right now than I would with Carmelo Anthony. No, you agree with most of NBA Twitter. I'm going to go <laughs> and I'm going to go against the field here on this one, but we'll see what happens with both of these both of these guys who look to make the way. You back. going against the Green Shaw? That in it that, that, that in itself should be news. We need to dedicate a show just on that on itself. No, no, no. All right, we'll see. <laughs> You're tuned to the baseline. Callie Warren Shaw discussing the hot button topics of the NBA, and this was the drop. Time to go coast to coast discussing the news in the association. You ready to rock and roll, Mr. Shaw? Absolutely, man. Let's ride. All right. Karis LeVert, he signs a three-year extension. He rolling with the Nets. Does that mean that the future for Carmelo Anthony might be a little bit dimmer? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, at least, again, Melo would probably come in on a one-year deal regardless of anything. But good for the Nets getting LeVert locked up for the next couple seasons here. Um, nice piece to the core that they're building alongside Kyrie and Gaby. It's, it's good to get a Levert brother in there, man. I've been missing them since Casanova. <laughs> Eric Gordon, he signs a four-year extension with the uh, Houston Rockets, and justifiably so. Um, E-Money has is, 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 is been getting buckets these last few years. I think he's found a home in Houston, so happy for him. Yeah, you know, Daryl Morey and those guys, they make it official. So Gordon should be there for the next couple of seasons. You know, still a decent deal, and 
could potentially be traded if necessary. But, you know, with all the rumors that surround him in the last couple of seasons, and I see that, hey, Houston now has decided this is the direction that we're going to go. You're going to be part of what we're trying to do here in the future. All right. Throwback time. The Utah Jazz is planning to unleash their throwback jerseys with the mountains. Um, I, I, I Listen, I'm all for, you know, the, the, the old school um, throwing it back every now and again and stuff. Are you feeling the Jazz going throwback? Um, I like the Jazz throwback. I think everyone is more excited about the Raptors and the Dinosaur throwback than anything else. But overall, I think you know, you get a chance to see these retro uniforms on these kind of new school players. It gives everybody something a little bit to talk about and it should be a little bit of fun. I will say that I will be a, ve- I will be a little bit salty that the Grizzlies are going to do their throwbacks and it's not Vancouver. All right. Oh, as much as I like, as much as I like that Memphis has a basketball team and it is the Memphis Grizzlies and such, I'm gonna be a little salty because when I think Grizzlies um, and their throwbacks, I think Vancouver, and I, I do think that there should be a second basketball team in in uh, in North America and in, in you know at least in Canada to represent the NBA, and hopefully they will get themselves uh, to a point to doing that again. Fair enough, brother. But yeah, the the, the jerseys they are Vancouver inspired. Um, although they are not the, the, the exact replica, uh, you know, with the bear and everything on it, but they, they definitely have um, that Vancouver influence. So you won't be too disappointed. Take a look. I think you might enjoy it. Well, listen, if, if, if anything, maybe that whoever the next president of the United States can negotiate that with Trudeau, work that out in that NAFTA 2.0 deal, because we ain't got nothing from this, this current deal. So maybe we can get something out of it that uh, puts a basketball team up there in Canada, man. You know what I'm saying? Hey, sports is good business, baby. Sports is good business. <laughs> awesome show this week, Sean. Uh, definitely some good topics of conversation to drop in, as always, brother. Dropping jewels, dropping gems. Yeah, great time, as always. You know, good to kind of continue to work our way through this NBA summer, um, you know, and try to get towards the NBA season. Um, so I'm excited about that, man. And again, this was an amazing show. A lot of great topics and stuff for our fans and listeners to chew on and give us some feedback on, especially when it comes to talking about leap year guys and guys who might be trying to get their way back to the NBA next year. I think a lot of our fans and listeners should be able to have some interest and some, some insight on this as well, too. So hit us up, NBA Baseline on Twitter, brother. Can't wait for it. As always, man. So once again, we thank you and yours for hopping on board with us this week. For The Baseline, Cali, Warren Shaw, we appreciate you guys. You know we do. We'll catch up with you next time.